Welcome to the Mission Cleveland weekly podcast, encouragement and hope in a despairing world. We we do ask that you come. Uh, We believe that you're here. Uh, We ask that you move even further in still to our hearts and Um, reveal to us those areas in our own lives that we need to put before you and um, also show us, Lord, where uh, you're continuing to do the work in our lives and um, the good things, the the beautiful things that you're continuing to present to us. And we just thank you for another evening to worship you in spirit and truth. And so, Lord, come now and guide our hearts and our minds as we look at your word once again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, One of the images that I want to start with is when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, I kind of think it's it's almost like we're walking through the woods, the forest, and we we kind of come upon this old cabin, and we see it, and it, it kind of looks like a place that you wouldn't live in, but you're just curious enough to kind of go look in the windows of, of the home, and you realize, you know, it's not really like a, a, a real house in, in a sense that you might expect. It's more like uh, it kind of comes across to you like an old shack or an old barn in the woods. But the more you look through the windows, the more you begin to see the kingdom of God, the more you begin to see the pure beauty that's there. And it didn't look like that before. It kind of surprises us. The more we gaze into the windows, we peek into those windows and we begin to see the kingdom of God. And it surprises us. No matter how long we've been walking this journey, it surprises us. So I really hope that as we go through this series, we're going to do a series on the Beatitudes. We'll read that gospel reading for the next eight weeks, actually. We just want that gospel to get in our bones. We want it to get in our bones. So we're going to go one by one with each of these eight Beatitudes. When we, I want to just kind of adjust the, the, the analogy a little bit, because when we actually zero in, not just on the Sermon of the Mount, but on the Beatitudes... I think um, it's kind of like, um, imagine you've been living in a house for years, and then you discover the blueprint of the house. I think most of us kind of are familiar with this language. We, We know, we've read the Beatitudes, we've studied the Sermon on the Mount in some way. So we've been kind of residing with these passages for some years now for many of us. But when we slow down to see like how these um, words, how the sermon of Jesus is structured, it's like we're just like getting the blueprint out. And like we don't know how the house was structured. We don't know how it was built until we see the actual blueprint. I watched a, a short video clip this week of it was in California and, and it was like a really environmentally friendly way of building homes. And what, they're, what they were doing in the video is, is using for the insulation of the homes, straw square bales. So they kind of like constructed the walls wide enough to put a, a straw bale in, inside the walls. 
and then that insulated the house and it was like, I mean, I guess we've been doing this for, for years and years and years, but they're now starting to kind of do that in more modern construction projects. But at the end, and you see the house, you see the finished product, like there's no way you would have known this was a straw house. There was absolutely no way it looked like a straw house. You would have had to see the blueprint. You would have to see, you know, what is this really structured with? And so we're sitting down with the Beatitudes here, and we're just looking at the structure of the kingdom of God. The blueprint, so to speak. Well, one aspect of the structure, just a, a couple of things just as we get started here. One aspect of the structure of the Beatitudes is, is that they're descriptive and not prescriptive. They're describing something about the kingdom of God. They're not necessarily telling us to do something. They're just saying this is the way the kingdom of God is. This is the way it is. And we see um, the, the word blessing coming up over and over again in these eight beatitudes. In fact, the word beatitude is Latin for blessing. And again, when we study the Beatitudes, it's like we're peeking into the window of the kingdom of God. We're looking into the deep of God. We're looking into the deep. And I believe we will begin to see, even feel, that the deep of God's kingdom calls to those deep parts of us when we do this study. And there's going to be parts of us, there, I think oftentimes there's parts of us that, that somewhere along the way we carry this this. This thought, sometimes it's a belief for us that God doesn't love me, that I've messed up too much, that I've done something wrong. And we actually need to gaze at the kingdom of God and remember how blessed we are when we follow Jesus. We're looking into the deep. That part of us that actually senses, there's still part of us I think that senses that we're loved by God, but sometimes we can question it. And we just have to be curious enough to keep looking through the window and see how God cares for us and see how his kingdom is created. And let the deep of God call unto our deep. So the Beatitudes are descriptive, not prescriptive. And one other point about the the structure of the house, the kingdom of God, is that because the Beatitudes are descriptive, They're describing everyone who follows Jesus, all of us. The Beatitudes are distinct from like the spiritual gifts, you know, for for example, like in 1 Corinthians 12, wisdom, healing, prophecy. We might say like with the spiritual gifts, some of us are endowed with prophecy and some of us are not. But with the Beatitudes, those are describing every single person who follows Jesus, Every single one of us. Each beatitude describes the way the kingdom works. And because they describe the kingdom, they also describe you. They describe me. It's not just that some are are poor in spirit. Just like a a, a subset of us in the room are poor in spirit and then others are not. Like we are all blessed when we're poor in spirit. And I think there's one more thing I want to say just as a... An introduction, and it's the challenge of this structure. It's a challenging structure in a sense. Because if we read the Beatitudes, similar like if, if we see them as Christian moral character, if we see them that way, I think we're going to be quickly confronted with our failure. We'll ask, like, are these even attainable? Like, can we even do this? 
Like, is it even possible to, 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 to achieve what Jesus is teaching here? If we see them as prescriptive, then we miss the point. Why is that? Because they become this kind of to-do list for us. And we'll just approach them with our own strength, with our own energy. And, and I think we fail to step into the house of virtue that we see here, realizing that we are blessed by God already. The, the Beatitudes aren't really directing us to go out and work on some kind of spiritual skill, like to go become poor or something. That, that actually may be a calling for some of us in the room. That's a very virtuous calling. It's an amazing calling. But that's not what's happening here in the midst of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are rather saying, when you get to the end of your rope, you will see how close God and his kingdom actually are to you. That when our backs are against the wall, we're in a, a unique moment where we experience God in all of his realness. And what makes this moment so incredibly difficult for us is it's that, that same moment, the same time God is presenting himself to us through broken, our broken pieces, the broken pieces of our lives, the strong temptation that we have is to reach down and start to gather up all those broken pieces of our lives and start to glue them back together, try to do it on our own strength. And God says, let those broken pieces fall to the ground. And trust me. Let them fall to the ground and trust me. The house that I have built for you will not be destroyed in the midst of your pain. And it is painful. In the midst of your brokenness, it is broken. Trust me, God says. This is just so counterintuitive to us, so strange, so abnormal. So opposite of what you would naturally think or do. That's why we need Jesus' words to teach us over and over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. Just need to read the Sermon on the Mount regularly. I think the Sermon on the Mount, it, it intrigues us because it's so different. It's just so counterintuitive. And commentaries, if you read commentaries on the Sermon on the Mount, especially in the Beatitudes... What you see is they're, they're actually like split on the, the Greek word, how to translate the Greek word. Makarios is the word, and sometimes we translate that happy, sometimes we translate that fortunate. That's the word that we're translating here, blessed. And you, you might imagine like some scholars don't really like the word happy because it just comes across as this like subjective emotional experience. I mean, it would be odd if that's what Jesus were saying, wouldn't it? You know, like just be happy. Just get over it, you know. You almost kind of like want to just take a step back and say, wait a minute, you know, is that right? Am I hearing this correctly? Especially when we have passages like Job, Job, the story of Job, after Satan had taken Job's family and all of his property, you know, Job has lost everything. And we, we see this at the end of chapter one. The, the, the scripture says, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. I mean, Job is not happy in that sense, right? Job isn't happy. But the scripture also says, in all these things, Job did not sin. If we were to understand happiness as some kind of positive, pleasurable experience, 
then we would just be misunderstanding this text. In fact, even modern psychology doesn't really even see happiness that way, really. We would see more if we read about this in some of the psychological research, you would see that happiness is, is more what happens when we pursue meaningful and pur- purposeful lives. So, of course, like to think about happiness as some kind of positive, pleasurable thing, experience, that we have to experience at all times, and that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's just wrong. It's just a misunderstanding of the word happy. But what is Jesus really saying in the Beatitudes? Blessedness is not about our emotional experiences with our circumstances. Blessedness isn't even about our emotional experiences with God. John Stott, in his commentary, the the great preacher and author, says, Blessedness is the way God sees you. This is how God sees you. He sees you as a blessed one, a fortunate one, a happy one. God sees you as blessed. Our blessedness is directly related to our relationship with God. It's not our circumstances that determine our happiness. Or a blessing. And I think, uh, you know, we have to be really careful with this one. This is where it gets a, a little bit tricky when you read the Beatitudes or any spiritual discipline stuff. I think you have to be careful not to backward map our theology from our experience. We have to be careful not to say, like, I'm in pain and so therefore God must be upset with me. Or, hey, I had a really successful month financially so God must be really excited and blessing me. And sometimes maybe that happens. What makes blessedness in the Sermon of the Mount so hard to understand is that we're seeing it through the window of, of the counterintuitive kingdom implication. And here's the first implication of Jesus' sermon. Um, could you put that screen up? Yeah. This is the first implication. The first Point Jesus is making in his sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Eugene Peterson in the message translates it this way, paraphrases it this way. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. That when we find, there's something about this, that when we find ourselves with our backs against the wall, that there is something embedded in these experiences that even though they carry with them oftentimes great pain, they also offer some kind of unique invitation to get in sync with the kingdom of God, to keep step with Jesus. And I just want to be clear about what's not being said here. And Jesus did not gather a crowd of faithful followers and begin to preach on the hillside and say, hey, everyone, I know you've got problems. It's going to be okay. Just get over it. God loves you. You know, that, don't, don't make a meme out of this sermon, right? We've got enough memes already. That is not what God is saying. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is looking out to the crowd and amazingly saying, you know what, you who are poor in spirit, you've got every right to walk away right now. You've got every right to stand up and leave. 
For those of you who have been struck by poverty, for those who are experiencing the profound pain of mourning, for you who are hungry and thirsty, he says, don't let your hope in God go. Jesus is saying, like, if you hear my voice, you're also hearing the voice of the compassionate Father who created you and even in the midst of the challenging experience you find yourself in, still holds you even now. Jesus says, don't walk away. Walk with me. Keep in step with me. Let me show you how close God actually is to you, even as you travel through a trial. And I think if we see Jesus teaching this way, we'll we'll see how the kingdom of God confronts our culture, the kingdom of God confronts ourselves. We see the deep calling unto deep. It's like a, a treasure hidden in obscurity. We don't see it at first. But as we stay and as we listen to the teaching of Jesus, we begin to see it. Isn't it a loaded way to begin a sermon, though? Isn't it a loaded way to start? You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I think we really have to ask not only what Jesus means by blessedness, but also what Jesus means when he uses the word poor. In our passage for tonight, Matthew, Matthew's gospel, we read Jesus teaching, blessed are the poor in spirit. In Luke, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. He abbreviates. Luke abbreviates. And as students of the Bible, we, we may ask like, okay, you know, is, is the type of poverty that Jesus is speaking about here a poverty of wealth? Like, I, I don't have the financial resources that I need to survive? Or, or is, is Jesus more, should I, should I see Jesus speaking like this is some kind of spiritual poverty? I'm, I'm empty of pride and, and so that I've realized how utterly dependent I am on you. Which is it? Is it financial, spiritual, and the answer to that question is it's both. Yes, it's both. It's both and it's more. The problem with naming this as a spiritual poverty only is that we could slip into this teaching like we're just kind of slipping into church late and getting in the back row and just kind of sneaking in, taking a seat, and not realize that we can get wrapped around the axle of how we see finances, whether we've got a lot or we've got a little. We can get wrapped around the axle. That swimming around in the waters of our material wealth or the lack of material wealth is often a thought about God, a belief about God. And the false gospel of our culture today, and I think this has even been true throughout history, not just today, assumes that I'm wealthy because God is blessing me. And, and it may be true sometimes, you know, that God blesses a business or us as a family or something like that. that I don't want to say that never happens. But it's equally true that financial wealth can create the biggest chasm between God and humanity. Listen to the pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
the Revelation reading that Ben read earlier. I'll just read a portion of that again. For I say to you, this is to the church in Laodicea, for, I, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What does this mean? I mean, it means that like an entire community can live under the belief that we have everything that we need and still be quite impoverished. That not just a community, a church, and not just a church, but we ourselves. I've got all that I need. You hear yourself saying that? Check it. It may just be that you're touching on some poverty there that needs to be peeled back. Gregory of of Nyssa, who, who wrote a sermon on the Beatitudes, he says, the poor are those that have shaken off earthly riches like a burden so that they may be lightly lifted and be born upwards. In the paraphrase of that sermon, here's how it's read. The poor in spirit are those who pawn their bling for an enriched spiritual life. The poor are those who shake off earthly riches like a burden. But, you know, we also know that poverty isn't simply about money, is it? I mean, just think about any aspect of what it means to be a human being and you will find the opportunity for poverty to come into view. We can experience and do experience poverty in our relationships. We can experience emotional poverty when we're working through trauma. We can experience poverty of ability, the incapacity to do certain things with our bodies due to an injury or a disability from birth. In other words, Jesus is teaching it isn't just about our checkbooks. And I think here's the real challenge. Here's the real challenge that's set before us when we meditate on this first beatitude. I think it's precisely at the moment when we experience vulnerable poverty, the vulnerability of our poverty, that God is breaking into our lives. He's letting us peek through the window. He's letting us see something about his kingdom. And everything in us will want to run away. Everything in us will want to formulate a plan or or power up in some way. But God is breaking in to say, don't do that. The more you try to do that, the the deeper you dig yourself. I just want to say one more way of looking at poverty here. And it's um, not, not just through finances, but it's through a deeper experience we might call power, powerlessness powerlessness I think when we get honest about our powerlessness we get really close to Jesus we'll see Jesus differently in our powerlessness and I know that's not a great word for some of us especially if you've been disempowered in a way but I want to just kind of freeze frame for a moment and just here this is um, from a material around um, similar to Alcoholics Anonymous there's another group called Sexaholics Anonymous essay. They've got a, some material. This was from their white book. Um, it's a pretty amazing group, actually. 
if you'd be interested to look at this. But those who are traveling through sexual addiction have seriously benefited from this group, Sexaholics Anonymous. But here's a story of one individual traveling to. He said, at the very beginning, all I could do when the compulsion struck was to cry out, I am powerless. Please help me. He said, sometimes I I cried out that prayer a hundred times a day. I am powerless. Please help me. Ultimately, he said, powerlessness, powerless was the most beautiful word in the world to me. Isn't it strange how that word can kind of like take a, a turn when you realize how powerless we actually are and how great our need is for Jesus? I want to end with a story about a friend I, I was talking with um, earlier this year. And he said that he woke up in the middle of the night and he smelled some like electrical wires. He thought it, something was on fire, thought something was burning. And he got up and he looked around. He didn't see anything burning. And then he just kept smelling it. And it, it turned out that his house was actually on fire. And so as he gathered his family and got out of his home, He stood there in his yard or or by the curb, and he's watching his house burn to the ground. And you know what he said to me? He said, all I could think in that moment was to pray a prayer. And this was the prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for all the many years you allowed me to live in that house. My jaws, like, dropped on the ground. Because that would, friends, not be my response in that moment. I would probably be more like, why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why didn't you protect my, my, my house? And, and those are okay questions. Those are okay questions. But sometimes we bump into a saint that's learned a different way of responding to pain and powerlessness. And sometimes you can see just a little bit further down the road what it looks like when someone's living into this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.